Chapter Eight of the Life of Reverend Henry Martin by John Hall. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mr. Martin now received intelligence from England of the death of his eldest sister, an event which very deeply affected him, but which caused him to feel fresh confidence in God and a new interest in heaven. O oh, great and gracious God, what should I do without thee? But now thou art manifesting thyself as the God of all consolation to my soul. Never was I so near thee. I stand on the brink and long to take my flight. There is not a thing in the world for which I could wish to live, except the hope that it may please God to appoint me some work. And how shall my soul ever be thankful enough to thee, O thou most incomprehensibly glorious Saviour Jesus! Oh, what hast thou done to alleviate the sorrows of life, and how great has been the mercy of God towards my family in saving us all! How dreadful would be the separation of relations and death were it not for Jesus! The European letter, he wrote to Mr. Brown, contained the intelligence of the death of my eldest sister. A few lines received from herself about three weeks ago gave me some melancholy forebodings of her danger. But though the Lord thus compassionately prepared me for this affliction, I hardly knew how to bear it. We were more united in affection to each other than to any of our relations, and now she is gone I am left to fulfill as a hireling my day, and then I shall follow her. She had been many years under some conviction of her sins, but not till her last illness had she sought in earnest for salvation. Some weeks before her death she felt the burden of sin, and cried earnestly for pardon and deliverance, and continued in the diligent use of the appointed means of grace. Two days before her death, when no immediate danger was apprehended, my youngest sister visited her, and was surprised and delighted at the change which had taken place. Her convictions of sin were deep, and her views clear. Her only fear was on account of her own unworthiness. She asked, with many tears, whether there was mercy for one who had been so great a sinner, though in the eyes of the world she had been an exemplary wife and mother, and said that she believed the Lord would have mercy upon her, because she knew he had wrought on her mind by his spirit. Two days after this conversation, she suddenly and unexpectedly left this world of woe, while her sister was visiting a dying friend at a distance. This, you will tell me, is precious consolation. Indeed, I am constrained to acknowledge that I could hardly ask for greater, for I had already parted with her for ever in this life, and in parting all I wished for was to hear of her being converted to God, and, if it was his will, taken away in due time from the evil to come, and brought to glory before me. Yet human nature bleeds. Her departure has left this world a frightful blank to me, and I feel not the smallest wish to live, except there be some work assigned for me to do in the church of God. And some time afterwards he wrote, My heart is still oppressed, but it is not a sorrow that worketh death. Though nature weeps at being deprived of all hopes of ever seeing this dear companion on earth, faith is thereby brought the more into exercise. How sweet to feel dead to all below, to live only for eternity, to forget the short interval that lies between us and the spiritual world, 
and to live always seriously. The seriousness which this sorrow produces is indescribably precious. Oh, that I could always retain it, when these impressions shall be worn away. In September he introduced Christ's Sermon on the Mount as a lesson for the schools. The first time he had been privileged to hear the natives reading and learning any portion of the sacred scriptures. He declined the urgent request of his friends in Calcutta to establish himself there, saying that, however delightful it would be to be placed in the society of the missionaries and their families, he wished to remain more in the midst of the heathen, upon whom he desired to expend his labors. His solitude was also rendered more painful by the disappointment of his hopes of marriage with the lady at Cornwall, to whom he was engaged, but who now felt obliged to decline the union, for reasons which Mr. Martin himself admitted to be proper. He bore this trial with much meekness. He said, The Lord sanctify this, and since this last desire of my heart is also withheld, may I turn away for ever from the world, and henceforth live forgetful of all but God. With thee, O oh my God, is no disappointment. I shall never have to regret that I have loved thee too well. Thou hast said, Delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. At first I was more grieved, he wrote some time afterwards, at the loss of my gourd than for all the perishing Ninevehs around me. But now my earthly woes and earthly attachments seem to be absorbing in the vast concern of communicating the gospel to these nations. After this last lesson from God on the vanity of the creature, I feel desirous to be nothing, to have nothing, to ask for nothing but what he gives. At the close of the year he thus spoke of this event, and the death of his sister. On both these afflictions I have seen love inscribed, and that is enough. What I think I want, it is better still to want, but I am often wearied with this world of woe. I set my affections on the creature, and am then torn from it, and from various other causes, particularly the prevalence of sin in my heart, I am often so full of melancholy that I hardly know what to do for relief. Sometimes I say, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, then would I flee away and be at rest. At other times, in my sorrow about the creature, I have no wish left for my heavenly rest. It is the grace and favor of God that have saved me hitherto. My ignorance, waywardness, and wickedness would long since have plunged me into misery. But there seems to be a mighty exertion of mercy and grace upon my sinful nature every day to keep me from perishing at last. My attainments in the divine life in this last year seem to be none at all. I appear, on the contrary, to be more self-willed and perverse, and more like many of my countrymen, in arrogance and a domineering spirit over the natives. The Lord save me from my wickedness. Henceforth let my soul, humbly depending upon the grace of Christ, perfect holiness in the fear of God, and show towards all, whether Europeans or natives, the mind that was in Christ Jesus. Mr. Morton had two assistants in his Indian and Persian translations, one named Mirza of Hindustan, the other Sabat, an Arabian. The latter of these, for some time, professed to be a convert to Christianity, but afterwards returned to Mohammedism. 
Sabat's temper and behavior were so inconsistent with the spirit of the gospel that he gave Mr. Martin great uneasiness. But his expressions of a desire to reform seemed so sincere that he was long regarded as a genuine Christian, whom it was hoped more light and knowledge and grace would gradually lead aright. In March 1808, Martin completed the New Testament in Hindustani and sent it to Calcutta to be printed. The correcting of the sheets as they came from the press occupied much of his time. Besides which, he superintended and compared the Persian translation by Sabat, and studied the Arabic, that he might have a translation made into that language also. He received visits daily from such of his congregation as were serious, and visited the hospital as usual. In consequence of the want of a proper place for public worship at Dinapore, he held meetings at his own house. On the first Sunday he preached from Isaiah chapter 4 verse 5, The Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion, and upon her assemblies, a cloud and smoke by day, and the shining of a flaming fire by night, for upon all the glory shall be a defense. In the afternoon, his diary relates, I waited for the women, but not one came. Perhaps by some mistake notice had not been given them. At the hospital, and with the men at night, I was engaged as usual in prayer. My soul panted after the living God, but it remained tied and bound with corruption. I felt as if I could have given the world to be brought to be alone with God, and the promise that this is the will of God, even our sanctification, was the right hand that upheld me while I followed after him. When low in spirits, through an unwillingness to take up the cross, I found myself more resigned in endeavouring to realise the thought which had often composed me in my trials on board the ship, namely, that I was born to suffer, that suffering is my appointed daily portion. Let this reconcile me to everything. To have a will of my own, not agreeable to God's, is a most tremendous wickedness. I own it is so, for a few moments, but, Lord, write it on my heart. In perfect meekness and resignation let me take whatever befalls me in the path of duty, and never dare to think of being dissatisfied. In June the Gospel of Matthew was finished in Persian, and sent to Calcutta, where it was printed at the expense of the British and Foreign Bible Society. In the summer he suffered a severe attack of illness, his reflections on which show the spirituality of his feelings and the joyfulness of his prospects of eternity. I little thought to have had my faith brought to a trial so soon. This morning, while getting up, I found a pain in the centre of my body, which increased to such a degree that fever and vertigo came on, and I fainted. The dreadful sensation was like what I once felt in England, but by no means so violent or long-continued, as then also I was alone. After recovering my senses and lying in pain which almost made me breathless, I turned my thoughts to God, and, oh, praise to His grace and love, I felt no fear, but I prayed earnestly that I might have a little relief to set my house in order and make my will. I also thought with pain of leaving the Persian Gospels unfinished. By means of some ether the Lord gave me ease, and I made my will. The day was spent in great weakness, but my heart was often filled with the sweetest peace and gratitude for the precious things God hath done for me.
I found delight at night in considering, from the beginning, all that God had done in creation, providence, and grace for my soul. O God of love, how shall I praise thee? Happiness, bliss for ever, lies before me. Thou hast brought me upon this stage of life to see what sin and misery are, myself, alas, most deeply partaking in both. But the days and the works of my former state, fraught with danger and with death, are no more, and the God of benevolence and love hath opened to me brighter prospects. Thine I am, my beloved is mine, and I am his, and now I want none but thee. I am alone with thee in this world, and when I put off this mortal tabernacle, I shall still be with thee, whatever that unknown change may be, and I shall be before thee, not to receive honour, but to ascribe praise. Yes, I shall then have power to express my feelings. I shall then, without intermission, see and love, and no cloud of sorrow overcast my mind. I shall then sing in worthy, everlasting strains the praises of that divine Redeemer, whose works of love now reach beyond my conception. Some portions of his letters to the Reverend Messrs. Corey and Brown at Calcutta during this year, and part of 1809, will show his labors, trials, and consolations in a better manner than our narrative could. I do not know how you find the heat, but here it is dreadful. In one person's quarters yesterday it was at 102 degrees. Perhaps it was on that account that scarcely any women came. Another reason I assign is that I rebuked one of them last Sunday yet very gently, for talking and laughing in the church before I came. So yesterday they showed me their displeasure by not coming at all. I spoke to them on the parable of the great supper. The old woman, who was always so exemplary in her attention, shed many tears. I have sometimes endeavoured to speak to her, but she declines conversation. I feel interested about her. There is so much sorrow and meekness depicted in her countenance— but she always crosses herself after the service is over. My Europeans this week have not attended very well, fifteen only, instead of twenty-five. Some of them indeed are in the hospital, and the hospital is a town of itself. How shall I ever be faithful to them all? Among the events of the last week is the earthquake. We were just reading the passage of the twenty-fourth of Matthew on earthquakes in diverse places, when I felt my chair shake under me, then some pieces of the plaster fell, on which I sprang up and ran out. The doors had still a tremulous motion. I groan at the wickedness and infidelity of men, and seem to stretch my neck every way to espy a righteous man. All at Dinapore treat the gospel with contempt. Here there is nothing but infidelity. A young civilian, who some time ago came to me, desiring satisfaction on the evidences of Christianity, and to whom I spoke very freely and with some regard, as I could not doubt his sincerity, now holds me up to ridicule. Thus, through evil report, we go on. Oh, my brother, how happy I feel that all have not forsaken Christ, that I am not left alone, even in India. Cast thy burden on the Lord— and he shall sustain thee, is the text I carry about with me, and I can recommend it to anybody as the infallible preservative from the fever of anxiety. The day after I wrote to you from Bankapur, I called on the Nawab, note, or Nabob, the name of an office, end note, 
Babir Ali Khan, celebrated for his sense and liberality. I stayed two hours with him, conversing in Persian, but badly. He began the theological discussion by requesting me to explain necessity and free will. I instantly pleaded ignorance. He gave his own opinion, on which I asked him for his proofs of the religion of Muhammad. The first argument was the eloquence of the Quran, but he at last acknowledged that this was insufficient. I then brought forward a passage or two in the Quran containing sentiments manifestly false and foolish. He flourished a good deal, but concluded by saying that I must wait till I could speak Persian better, and had read their logic. This was the first visit, and I returned highly delighted with his sense, candor, and politeness. Two days after, I went to breakfast with him, and conversed with him in Hindustani. He inquired what are the principles of the Christian religion. I began with the atonement, the divinity of Christ, the corruption of human nature, the necessity of regeneration, and a holy life. He seems to wish to acquire information, but discovers no spiritual desire after the truth. I mentioned to you that I had spoken very plainly to the women last Sunday on the delusions of the papists. Yesterday only seven came. I ascribed it to what I had said, but to-day Sabat tells me that they pour contempt upon it all. Sabat, instead of comforting and encouraging me in my disappointments and trials, aggravates my pain by contemptuous expressions of the perfect inutility of continuing to teach them. He may spare his sarcastic remarks, as I suppose, after another Sunday, none at all will come. I find no relief but in prayer. To God I can tell all my griefs, and find comfort. One day this week, on getting up in the morning, I was attacked with a very serious illness. I thought I was leaving this world of sorrow, and praised be to the God of grace, I felt no fear. The rest of the day I was filled with sweet peace of mind, and had near access to God in prayer. What a debt of love and praise do we owe! Yesterday I attempted to examine the women who attended, in number about thirty, in Christian knowledge. They were very shy, and said that they could say no prayers but in Portuguese. It appears that they were highly incensed, and went away, saying to Joseph, We know a great deal more than your priest himself. The services much weakened me after my late attack. The men are fast dying in the hospital, yet they would rather be sent to Patna for some holy oil than hear the word of eternal life. Two or three of my evening hearers are in the hospital. One is prepared to die, blessed sight. The Persian of St. Mark is to be sent to-morrow, and five chapters of Luke corrected. There is no news from down the stream, but always glad tidings for us from the world above. The following is from a letter to his sister in England. I am sorry that I have not good accounts to give of my health, yet no danger is to be apprehended. My services on the Lord's day always leave me a pain in the chest, and such a great degree of general relaxation that I seldom recover from it till Tuesday. A few days ago I was attacked with a fever, which, by the mercy of God, lasted but two days. I am now well, but must be more careful for the future. In this debilitating climate, the mortal tabernacle is frail indeed. My mind seems as vigorous as ever, but my delicate frame soon calls for relaxation, and I must give it, though unwillingly, for such glorious fields for exertion open all around, 
that I could with pleasure be employed from morning to night. It seems a providential circumstance that the work at present assigned me is that of translation, for had I gone through the villages preaching, as my intention led me to do, I fear that by this time I should have been in a deep decline. In my last I gave you a general idea of my employments. The society still meet every night at my quarters, and though we have lost many by death, others are raised up in their room. One officer, a lieutenant, is also given to me, and he is not only a brother beloved, but a constant companion and nurse, so you must feel no apprehension that I should be left alone in sickness, neither on any other account should you be uneasy. You know that we must meet no more in this life. Therefore, since we are, as I trust, both children of God by faith in Jesus Christ, it becomes a matter of less consequence when we leave this earth. Of the spread of the gospel in India I can say little, because I hear nothing. Adieu, my dearest sister. Let us live in constant prayer for ourselves and for the church. The annexed extracts are from his correspondence with Messrs. Corey and Brown. I have just come out of my chapel, where, with my little flock, I have once more resumed my duties. The infrequency of my appearance among them of late has thinned them considerably, and this effect which I foresaw is one of the most painful and lamentable consequences of my withdrawing from them but it is unavoidable if I wish to prolong my life. My danger is from the lungs, though none of you seem to apprehend it. One complete service at church does more to consume my strength and spirits than six days of the hardest study or bodily labor. Pray for me, my dear brother, that I may neither be rash nor indolent. You mention a letter enclosed, but none came. The intelligence, however, intended to be conveyed by it, met my delighted eyes. Thomason is coming. This is good. Praise be to the Lord of the harvest for sending out laborers. Behold how the prayers of the society at Calcutta have been heard. I hope they will continue their supplication, for we want more yet, and it may please God yet further to bless us. You cannot leave Calcutta by the middle of November, and must therefore apply for a one month's extension of leave. But you are unwilling to leave your flock, and I do not wonder, as I have seen my sheep grievously dispersed during my absence. Uncertain when I may come amongst them, they seldom come at all, except the ten or twelve who meet one another. My morning congregation increases as the cold weather advances, and yesterday there seemed to be a considerable impression. I spoke in a low tone of voice, and therefore did not feel much fatigue. After the Hindustani service I was very weak, but at night tolerably strong again. On the whole my expectations of life return. May the days thus prolonged be entirely his who continues them, and may my work not only move on delightfully, but with a more devout and serious spirit. Your letter from Buxar found me in much the same spiritual state as you describe yourself to be in, though your description no doubt belongs more properly to me. I no longer hesitate to ascribe my stupor and formality to its right cause, unwatchfulness in worldly company. I thought that any temptation arising from the society of the people of the world, at least as such as we have had, was not worthy of notice. But I find myself mistaken. The frequent occasions of being among them of late have proved a snare to my corrupt heart. 
instead of returning with a more elastic spring to severe duties as I expected, my heart wants more idleness, more dissipation. David Brainerd in the wilderness, what a contrast to Henry Martin! But God be thanked that a start now and then interrupts the slumber. I hope to be up and about my master's business, to cast off the works of darkness, and to be spiritually minded, which alone is life and peace. But what a dangerous country it is that we are in! Hot weather or cold, all is softness and luxury, all a conspiracy to lull us to sleep in the lap of pleasure. While we pass over this enchanted ground, call, brother, ever and anon, and ask, Is all well? We are shepherds keeping watch over our flocks by night. If we fall asleep, what is to become of them? Last Friday we had the happiness and honour of finishing the four Gospels in Persian. The same evening I made some discovery respecting the Hebrew verb, but was unfortunately so much delighted that I could not sleep, in consequence of which I have had a headache ever since. Thus even intellectual joys are followed by sorrow, not so spiritual ones. I pray continually that order may be preserved in my heart, that I may esteem and delight most in that work which is really most estimable and delightful, the work of Christ and his apostles. When this is in any measure the case, it is surprising how clear and orderly the thoughts are on other subjects. I am still a good deal in the dark respecting the objects of my pursuit, but have so far an insight that I read both Hebrew and Arabic with increasing pleasure and satisfaction. I scarcely know how this week has passed, nor can I call to mind the circumstances of one single day, so absorbed have I been in my new pursuit. I remember, however, that during one night I did not sleep a wink. Knowing what would be the consequence the next day, I struggled hard and turned every way, that my mind might be diverted from what was before it, but all in vain. One discovery succeeded another in Hebrew, Arabic, and Greek, so rapidly that I was sometimes in almost ecstasy. But, after all, I have moved but a step. You may scold me if you please, but I am helpless. I do not turn to this study of myself, but it turns to me, and draws me away almost irresistibly. Still I perceive it to be a mark of a fallen nature, to be so carried away by a pleasure merely intellectual, and therefore, while I pray for the gifts of his spirit, I feel the necessity of being still more earnest for his grace. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. But charity never faileth. Yesterday my mind was mercifully kept free the whole day, and I ministered without distraction, and moreover without fatigue. I do not know when I have found myself so strong— the state of the air affects me more than anything else. On Saturday I completed my twenty-eighth year. Shall I live to see another birthday? It will be better to suppose not. I have not read Faber yet, but it seems evident to me that the eleventh of Daniel, almost the whole of it, refers to future time. But as the time of accomplishing the scriptures draws on, knowledge shall increase." In solemn expectation we must wait to see how our God will come. How interesting are his doings. We feel already some of that rapture wherewith they sing above, Great and wonderful are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. 
I did not write to you last week, because I was employed night and day, on Monday and Tuesday, with Sabat, in correcting some sheets for the press. I begin my letter now, immediately on receiving yours of last week. The account of your complaint, as you may suppose, grieves me exceedingly, not because I think that I shall outlive you, but because your useful labors must be reduced to one quarter of their present amount, and that you may perhaps be obliged to take a voyage to Europe, which involves loss of time and money. But, O oh, brother beloved, what is life or death? Nothing to the believer in Jesus. He that believeth, though he were dead, yet shall he live, and he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. The first and most natural effect of sickness, as I have often found, is to cloud and terrify the mind. The attention of the soul is arrested by the idea of soon appearing in a new world, and a sense of guilt is felt, before faith is exercised in a Redeemer, and for a time this will predominate, for the same faith that would overcome fear in health must be considerably strengthened to have the same ascendancy in sickness. I trust you will long live to do the work of your Lord Jesus. My discoveries are all at an end. I am just where I was, in perfect darkness, and tired of the pursuit. It is, however, likely that I shall be constantly speculating on the subject. My thirst after knowledge is very strong, but I pray continually that the Spirit of God may hold the reins, that I may mind the work of God above all things, and consider all things else as merely occasional. The preceding extracts show the progress of Martin and Sabat in their translations, the debility of Martin's health, and the new temptations of study which were presented to his mind. In March 1809 a large place of worship was opened, but he was not permitted to enjoy many services in it, as he was sent by the East India Company to be chaplain at Cawnpore, almost four hundred miles from Dinapore, and seven hundred from Calcutta. This journey he performed at the hottest season of the year. For two days and nights he travelled without stopping, during which time the wind seemed to him like flames, and he lay in his palanquin almost insensible. A lady of Cawnpore speaks as follows of his tour. The month of April, in the upper provinces of Hindustan, is one of the most dreadful months for travelling throughout the year. Indeed, no European at that time can remove from place to place but at the hazard of his life. But Mr. Martin had that anxiety to be in the work which his Heavenly Father had given him to do, that notwithstanding the violent heat, he travelled from Chunar to Cawnpore, the space of about four hundred miles. At that time, as I well remember, the air was as hot and dry as that which I have sometimes felt near the mouth of a large oven. No friendly cloud or verdant carpet of grass to relieve the eye from the strong glare of the rays of the sun pouring on the sandy plains of the Ganges. Thus Mr. Martin travelled, journeying night and day, and arrived at Cawnpore in such a state that he fainted away as soon as he entered the house. When we charged him with the rashness of hazarding his life in this manner, he always pleaded his anxiety to get to the great work. He remained with us ten days, suffering considerably at times from fever and pain in the chest. At Cawnpore there was no church or regular worship. Soon after his arrival, Martin preached to the soldiers in the open air, when such was the heat, although before sunrise, that many dropped down as they stood around him in ranks. 
He adopted the same course of public services as at Dinapore, and continued to superintend the Arabic and a new Persian translation of the New Testament, as the first one was found too imperfect for publication. These duties occupied his whole time, excepting when his duties occasionally required him to take journeys to distant towns. Having received intelligence of the fatal illness of his only sister, the last tie to earthly objects seems to have been broken. "'What is there now?' he exclaimed, "'that I should wish to live for. "'Oh, what a barren desert! "'What a howling wilderness does this world appear! "'But for the service of God and his church, "'and the preparation of my own soul, "'I do not know that I would wish to live another day.' "'It was this sister who first attempted to draw his attention to religion. "'And how must he have looked back upon the day, "'when, as he confessed, the sound of the gospel from her lips was grating to his ear. End of chapter 8